All right, everyone, welcome back on today's Unqualified Opinions from Masari. We've got an interview I've been looking forward to for a couple months. This is with Lane Reddig, who's one of the core developers at the Ethereum Foundation. We talk about a lot of really important things. If you are building on Ethereum, if you are investing in it, if you are at all interested in it, you're going to want to check this one out. Uh, Lane talks about the governance challenges uh, Ethereum is experiencing. He talks about competition. He talks about um, a, a good chunk of the scalability uh, challenges that he and others are working on, the difference between Ethereum 1X and Ethereum 2.0. Uh, it is a wide-ranging but packed conversation that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. But before we get into all that, a quick word on two of our sponsors, Token Tax and Token Soft. Masari's Unqualified Opinions is brought to you by our sponsors at Token Tax and Token Soft. Taxes suck. We all know it. And crypto taxes are even worse. I know because I spent days last year trying unsuccessfully to piece together the mess that was my crypto tax return. And I needed a platform that could pull from the variety of exchanges, wallets, and other crypto sources I used to help identify cost basis and actual gains and losses for the year. Token Tax saved me. Not only do they have an intuitive platform, they also have excellent customer support from real CPAs. No one loves paying taxes, but with the tax deadline just one month away in the U.S., you can go to tokentax.co right now to get started and save time and money on your taxes. Issuing a digital security on the blockchain is a lot of work, particularly on the compliance side of things, at least if you want to do it right. TokenSoft works with top legal and financial experts to make sure your digital assets are secure and compliant. The company leads the market in providing tools to support tax, banking, and securities regulations for digital asset issuers. To learn more about how TokenSoft and their new Knox wallet can help you with issuance, management, and custody of digital assets or securities, you can visit TokenSoft.io or follow them on Twitter at TokenSoft, Inc. So we're, we're, we're going to be good. It's going to be fun. All like Saturday Night Live. Either. All right, everyone. Welcome back. Ryan Selkis at Masari. Uh, this is Masari's Unqualified Opinions. And uh, today I'm really excited uh, to have a conversation where I'm totally out of my depths um, with Lane Reddick, a core developer from the Ethereum Foundation. We got a lot to cover. Uh, I know a, a number of our subscribers have wanted to hear more about the inner workings of Ethereum and answer some of these very murky questions. You see the debates on Twitter, you see um, all of the uh, very meticulously thought out proposals and then some of the not so meticulously thought out proposals sure. with, with respect to how this ecosystem continues to scale. Um, so there's probably two hours of stuff that we could cover. We're, we're going to try to keep this really short and, and punchy um, and keep it to, uh, to, to about a half hour. Cool. But um, I, I wanted to start, uh, we we're catching up off camera for a minute, um, but I don't want to uh, completely spoil the, the, the spontaneity of the interview. Um, your backstory pre-Ethereum is really interesting. So, so maybe uh, I'd love to hear the minute on your work at a hedge fund, uh, getting into finance and, and you know, kind of the teeth of the financial crisis, and then how that's kind of shaped some of your thinking uh, around open source development and, and, and your, your contributions to Ethereum. And then we're going to get into the nitty gritty of Ethereum. But, um, a little bit about your origin story, I think, would be would be really interesting, and, and let's start there. Cool. All right, sixty seconds. This is this. You can time me. This is going to be hard. Um, <laughs> hey guys, hey Ryan, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. 
yeah, so the one common thread for me throughout my career has been computer science. Mm -hmm. um, I've been coding since I was like seven or eight years old, initially hacking on like video games and things like that. And, and that passion has always been like my, my primary passion. Uh, it's a balance with a passion for people, like mm -hmm. meeting people, helping understand their lives and make their lives better. Um, so I studied computer science at UC Berkeley. Um, I started my career literally four blocks away from here at a large hedge fund called D.E. Shaw & Company where I was a software developer, but also touched um, the finance side as well. So some kind of quantitative analysis and trading strategies and things like that. Um, it was a very interesting time to start there. I started in 2006, so kind of caught the tail end of the Wolf of Wall Street days uh, going into the financial crisis. And if not a front row seat, I kind of had like a second row seat to mm -hmm. all the chaos that ensued throughout 2007, 2008, 2009. Realized how little I knew about the world as an engineer, having this yeah. narrow engineering mindset. That led me, um, after six years there, to uh, go to business school. I did an MBA and a second master's in international studies. Um, Became an entrepreneur after that, started a healthcare technology startup, mainly because uh, I felt that finance, like I wasn't able to make the world a better place to sort of add value in a meaningful way in that role. Um, whereas entrepreneurship, I could be more at the forefront of innovation and uh, generating value rather than capturing it. Um, learned that healthcare is like a really non-innovative space and there's just, it's just impossible to innovate, at least in the United States in that space right now. Um, we sold the company in, I think, 2000. Uh, 16, I took a year off to be mm -hmm. do a sabbatical and travel and clear my head and figure out what comes next and figure out my priorities. And it was during that year off that I discovered Ethereum. Um, Hard not to as a developer yeah. at that point. <laughs> well, not just not just the technology, but it was the intersection of everything else of my interest yeah. in, in people and in processes and business and economics and all and all these yeah. things kind of meeting. Uh, and just rapid descent down the rabbit hole in 2017 into 2018. Mm -hmm. um, how did you get? involves uh, more deeply within mm -hmm. the ecosystem because it's the one thing that's super fascinating. It probably is not going to persist forever, but people can still go from zero to extremely oh, yeah. uh, deep and meaningful contributors just because of how early stage it is. Yeah. So you're learning about Ethereum in 2017. You're a, a pretty prominent core developer now, you know, two years later. Um, what was that process like? Uh, I, I assume you started tinkering, uh, like most people, and, and how did you come to be affiliated with the Ethereum Foundation? Sure, yeah, so I uh, actually ended my sabbatical early after I learned about Ethereum and just blockchain in general, um, <laughs> because I was I just realized that the writing was on the wall. I had a couple of other side projects I was dabbling with, but I mm -hmm. uh, was waking up every morning like, more excited about blockchain than anything else. Uh, when I first learned about these concepts like world, you know, decentralized world computer and smart contract, like literally had a stare at the wall for 30 minutes moment to process it all and unpack it all and like just begin to realize the uh, implications of all of that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I just did, did a deep dive. Like immediately I read as many white papers as I could get my hands on. I, uh, I'm fortunate to be to call New York City home, right? So mm -hmm. it was very early able to go out into the community here and engage with uh, Actually, more Bitcoin people than Ethereum people, especially yeah. at that time. Yeah. Uh, Big devs meetups, things like that. Um, Co-founded Crypto NYC, which I know you're aware of, right, as a community to kind of bring interested people together. Uh, but my entree into Ethereum happened at DevCon 3 in Cancun in October of 2017. Um, I went down there as a volunteer, knowing very little about Ethereum and, and, for, and even less about the Ethereum community. Uh, and had the good fortune to just um, meet sort of most of the stakeholders in a very intense week or two weeks down there, um, you know, was, was a volunteer, was sort of helping with various administrative tasks at DevCon um, and expressed my interest, um, my deep interest 
sort of shortly after that to folks such as uh, Ming Chang, who was a director of the Ethereum Foundation at the time, and Vitalik, um, that I wanted to, that I was ready to go all in and just like this project um, seemed like the most high impact project in the world at that point in time. Uh, and to your point, um, Ethereum was at that point, and I think very much still is at a place where the community is small and open enough that anyone who I think, uh, it, it's, it's a meritocracy basically, mm -hmm. um, to a large extent. Anyone who is willing to make that effort uh, and has that intent um, I think has the opportunity to contribute at a high level relatively quickly. I actually wrote an article about this um, late last year. I think it was called, So You Want to Be a Core Developer. Yeah. Uh, and I think just the last point in response to your question, most of us, I think, at least coming from the corporate world where mm -hmm. I come from, traditional education, et cetera, like have this mindset that the world work, the world is structured in such a way that there's gatekeepers and things are centralized. And like, if you want a job, you apply for it. That is like, not, I mean, maybe if you come from an open source background, you know mm -hmm. that that's not really how things work. But in Ethereum, it's very much not how things work. We're like a duocracy, right? And I think what I see a lot of really well-intentioned people struggling with is this idea that like you're, you don't apply for a job, you don't wait for permission, you just dive in and start contributing because 100% of what we do is out in the open, open source, mm -hmm. both the code as well as increasingly like the processes and organizations and project management, stuff like that. And, and, and I think that's really interesting segue yeah. um, because that is true. Because there is no hierarchy, it's presented a number of challenges, oh, yeah. uh, particularly <laughs> more, more, more recently. And this touches everything yes. to do with, with Ethereum, and, and part of it is a product of success. So it's, it's a good set of problems to have. Um, but things like governance, things like scaling, um, things like the um, community outreach and, and just generally how mm -hmm. um, this community does business. Uh, what, sorry, this is once again my do not disturb failing. Um, how, uh, how have you navigated the challenges, the political challenges, I guess, of, of getting involved with a, an open community that doesn't necessarily have a pecking order, or at least has a stated mandate to avoid the pecking order as much as possible, and yet still has to get things done and prioritize the roadmap and, and um, make sure that this global community is scaling in, in the right direction and, and not forking off. Yeah, this is um, an enormous topic. I, I probably have several hours of things to say about this, so I'll do my best to kind of, you know, just, just, just cover it briefly. Um, I do want to say that I think this is probably the most important topic in Ethereum today. Um, uh, you know, at a high level, I believe, you know, on the one hand, I think Ethereum, as I said before, I still I feel even more this way today, that it is the most uh, high impact project on the planet, has the most potential to do the most good. And that's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the only thing I want to work on. It's something that I believe uh, fits that criteria. At the same time, I think Ethereum today faces, uh, continues and has for some time continued to face three, I'd say, existential challenges. I think those three are scaling, usability, slash adoption, and governance. And I think scaling is, I'm, I'm super confident Ethereum is gonna scale. Amazing technological minds are working on that. Uh, ETH2 is making great progress, Plasma is making great progress, et cetera. Uh, on adoption, um, I, I see a lot of progress there as well. I'm very excited mm -hmm. about things like Austin Griffith's Burner Wallet project and some of the new UI UX. And I also think it's maybe just a little bit too early to focus on adoption. Governance is like this huge question. Um, and I think the reason for it is that uh, amazing people have gotten Ethereum to where it is today. I mean, I, I have enormous respect for all of the core contributors who have gotten us as far as we are, but those people um, are primarily people who are very good at technology and not so good at people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we're at an inflection point. I think that Ethereum has scaled as much as it can socially um, without putting in place better governance structures. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, 
so I think if we want this to be bigger, to continue to grow and to even begin to realize even a tiny bit of its potential, but like now is, now is a critical magic moment for us to kind of begin fixing the governance stuff. Um, there's an enormous tension there between, uh, on the one hand, like the desire not to centralize things, not to take the quote unquote easy way out, right? If you look at pretty much every other blockchain project, they're doing things in a very centralized fashion. And, and decentralization and lack of, um, how do I put it, like not being a monarchy is sort of in our blood, it's in our ethos at Ethereum. On the other hand, uh, I'm, I come from a very centralized project management background. Like I was, you know, I ran a startup that was very, that was not a democracy. And, uh, you know, I studied in the bastion of capitalism at the Wharton School of Business. And like, believe me, decentralization is not what they teach you there. It's the opposite. So like, I'm not, like, I, I want to say one thing in, sort of in closing here, which is that this is like totally an experiment. Okay, mm -hmm. not just the technology, right? We know the technology is experimental, it's unproven, especially stuff like proof of stake and scaling, sharding. Mm -hmm. um, but the people side, like building world infrastructure uh, in a highly decentralized fashion, right? is like super experimental. I'd argue that like the internet and Linux prove that it can be done, mm -hmm. uh, but those are projects that took decades um, and, and are still, uh, yeah, they've taken different paths than we have. So I, I do think that there's hope. Um, but I think this is like the biggest thing we need to figure out if we want Ethereum to succeed. You know, the Linux example is always interesting yeah. to me because there wasn't money on the line. Right, that changes right? things for so, better and for worse. Yes, and, and for better, it has accelerated developments uh, oh, yeah. in, in these protocols. Um, for worse in that, the expectations are ratcheted mm -hmm. way up, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, Fred Wilson, who's, who's been around this industry yeah. uh, for as long as anybody on, on the venture side in particular, um, you know, he made uh, some some pretty notable comments sure. at an event, basically saying they're screwing it up, and um, and he wasn't talking about the caliber of people, but he was yeah. talking about the exact challenges that that um, you're you're talking about. What has the temperature in the room been like at the Ethereum Foundation at some of these developer meetups where this is discussed? Is it two hardline camps? Is it more fluid than that? Is it, you know, a couple of people have loud voices on either side of the issue, but there's a middle ground. How, yeah. do, you, how do you see some of these things getting resolved um, with respect to roadmap, with respect to, you know, very important decisions where some of them by design are going to need to be controversial so that the can is no longer kicked, right? The difficulty bomb, the switch to proof of stake, like, and the timing of it, like how exactly that's implemented. Um, sure. You can't just find common ground on all of these. Sure. At some point, there's a binary decision that's going to piss some people off, and sure. you just got to go with it and, and kind of you know uh, roll the dice and go with the consequences. Hope that a continuing the community doesn't fork sure. off. Um, what's what's the tone of that conversation? Is it and 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 what's the um, what's the slope of that conversation? I guess right. Is it getting more intense? Yeah. Is it getting less intense? And especially now that yeah. that the next uh, push uh, in Constantinople was just finally released. It's definitely getting more intense, and I would say actually, it's when I mentioned inflection point a moment ago. Like I, I think it's it's uh, it's getting more intense more quickly, right? So I think sort of the my my math is not so good. What is the 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 uh, derivative has increased as well yes. as you know like it's getting faster faster. Um, so the reason for that, right, is that, let's just look historically. Historically, mm -hmm. Ethereum governance was like super simple. It was literally five dudes. Mm -hmm. um, I wish there were more women involved in you know, decision-making <laughs> in Ethereum, right? And there are some today, which is amazing. But basically five dudes who all knew each other and all mm -hmm. trusted each other, sitting together in a room, whether physically or virtually. In the beginning, of course, it was like physically in a room, uh, making decisions in a very centralized fashion. Mm -hmm. And that worked for some number of years, for sort of like three years or so. Um, and the decisions, even after that, as Ethereum began to grow, the decisions were not especially controversial, right? If you look at um, 
I mean, the one, of course, sort of exception here is, is the Dow Hard Fork. Um, but even then, I think, like, most of the core community was united around what ultimately became um, the response to that. Uh, and, and if you look at the roadmap up through 2017 into, I'd say, early last year, early 2018, the decisions were not controversial. They were very technical in nature, and things just kind of worked in mm -hmm. a very um, ad hoc sort of fashion, right? We have a core dev calls, and we have Hudson Jamison sharing those calls, and we never struggled to reach consensus. Now, what changed all this last year was the parity multi-sig wallet issue and funds recovery, which I think since the DAO hack um, has been the biggest controversial question. Mm -hmm. It's just to be clear, it is like not at all a technical question. It's like everything else. It's legal. It's economic. It's political. It's ethical, right? And and yeah. and, and what we're beginning to see now is more and more of the governance questions Ethereum facing fall into this second category of things, which are not technical. They're all the other things. Right? Philosophical is the word we usually use, yes. all-encompassing, right? So now we have ProgPath which is a potential change to the proof-of-work algorithm to make Ethereum more ASIC-resistant, which is also partially technical, but a lot of this is about, like, should we favor one group of stakeholders over another, which yes. is not technical. Mm -hmm. um, there's now beginning to be a lot of dialogue around things like um, block reward funding for the public good, for ecosystem mm -hmm. funding, dev fund funding, sort of like Zcash style, right? And again, that's not at all a technical question. It's, I implemented it as five lines of code. Mm -hmm. So it's all the other things. So in a nutshell, what's happening now is we have all these non-technical questions and yet Ethereum is a technocracy. You know, as much as I'd love it to be like a democracy or something like without formalized identity on chain, which we don't have and we won't have for some time, um, that's the best we can hope for is this yep. technocracy. And we have these core developers who are de facto making these, um, sort of acting as arbiters and making the final decisions on what makes it into the protocol. And it's a whole combination of things going on, right? One is that they don't necessarily have the expertise or the background in things like philosophy or ethics or economics. Mm -hmm. I just came back from the Radical Exchange Conference where I was hobnobbing with those people, those ethicists and philosophers and economists, and I learned so much from them as a side note. Um, they're afraid to make these decisions because they, there's legal liability questions, right? We've seen examples in the past of developers being, um, core developers being targeted legally mm -hmm. as a result of some of their decisions. Um, they are coming under attack in the community in some cases for the decisions. Obviously, the case of what happened with Afri Shudin recently is a good example of this. So anyway, in a nutshell, right, we're in this situation where increasingly these decisions are not technical, and yet we don't have like a non-technical mechanism to respond to these questions. And so that's actually my primary focus right now, is resolving this. Because I think if we don't, then Ethereum will be stuck for some time. Can, can you kind of rank order some of the biggest binaries that need to be answered one way or the other? I, I sure. feel like far and away, the number one has got to be the proof of stake transition. Yes, I think that that's the most, so, so there's two ways to rank order, right? There's like okay. actual priority and there's sort of like perceived priority or like controversiality, right? right? Yeah, so let's, let's actual, yes. so yeah. actual priority, like no question, it's, um, you know, it's a toss up between ETH1X and uh, ETH2. So for example, proof of stake, and this may be a good segue into ETH1X stuff, but uh, the realization so that we've ETH, had... ETH, ETH2, ETH1X, um, I think most people that are avid followers will know that what that is, but but ETH2 is the transition to proof of stake. And, uh, and sharding. And sharding, yep. which is a number of technical up upgrades. Yep. Sharding uh, should make the, the actual um, blockchain storage uh, a little bit easier and more scalable. Uh, ETH1X is everything that doesn't require those more massive technical transitions. So it's the other optimizations that can be made today without any controversial changes. It's, so, so that's not entirely accurate in ETH1X. If I may just amend what you said, sure. you got it 80%. Um, it is... Never expected to ace this person. <laughs> 80% is not bad. <laughs> this is complex stuff. I, you said in the very beginning, you feel out of your element. Trust me, I'm out of my element every day. It's like literally, that's Ethereum today. Okay, so, so, so what did I miss? Yeah, so, um, so 
part, it, it may actually be Ethereum 1x, some of what we're contemplating may actually be somewhat controversial. So this mm -hmm. includes things like storage management fees or state rent, if yep. I dare invoke the R word, like, you know. Um, so there's some questions around how that'll be done. And generally the purpose of ETH1x is uh, to keep Ethereum alive, existing Ethereum mainnet alive indefinitely. And in particular, there's some fear on the part of a lot of sort of core developer um, people that if we don't do this today and fix things like this massive like ballooning in the size of a Ethereum state, um, that like ETH2 won't, like we won't live to see the light of ETH2's day, so to speak, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and I think that we have um, a social contract with pretty much everyone that ETH1 should, you know, be alive for quite some time. Got it. Um, so we'll get back to that because sure. that, that gets into scalability sure. uh, a bit, which you mentioned adoption and scalability are, are the other two. I think we should, we should sure. get back to those. But let's rank order the perceived and actual um, sure. priorities in terms of the top three or top five, what, you know, whatever it may be. So, so actual is this transition. Um, what else is on that list of actual? And then where do you think the perception is right now? Uh, sorry to nitpick here, but because this is so multidimensional, are you more interested like from the, pers the technical perspective of a core developer or more like, like God's eye view over the whole Ethereum ecosystem? Because they're kind of different. I think God's eye view. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so so I think bird's eye for the yeah, <laughs> we're we're non-sectarian here, so it works. Um, so yeah, I think um, I mean, look, I think the short answer to your question in terms of actual priorities is exactly the three things I said before from the highest level. I don't think that core devs are necessarily focused on things like usability adoption or governance, which is part of the whole problem here. But I do think that those, in combination with scalability, are uh, the top three. Um, in terms of actual questions, other things, um, oh, there's so much going on. I mean, I think in community, I think it's definitely mm -hmm. in the top five as well. Like, um, what what is the Ethereum community? How do we define it? Uh, what groups of stakeholders are there? How do we make sure everyone's voice is heard? I mean, this is this is essential. Like Ethereum, this is something else that sets Ethereum apart, like very far apart from any other projects. It's always existed of and by and for the community. Mm -hmm. uh, the community is what makes Ethereum special. It's our, like, if you want to analyze it in business terms, it's our moat, right? It's our, like, unique value proposition that I think other projects will really struggle to replicate. It, they say it's easy to fork the code and impossible to fork the community. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of questions there, right, as Ethereum grows and the sort of set of stakeholders increases, right, like who they are and how we make sure their voice is heard. Um, and I'd say funding, which falls under the subheading of, um, of governance. I think that there's... Um, Funding is not flowing as effectively as it could, and I think it's begun to have ramifications on the speed of the Ethereum roadmap. The crypto Twitter perceived priorities. Oh boy. Let's see. Number one is number one is Justin Sun versus yeah. Vitalik on any given day, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually, that was a joke, but what what's interesting There's some is truth that, to it. Yeah. Well, the truth to it is the following, right? It's that there is increasingly. I mean, I, I hate to even. Like, I hate to discuss things at all that are like perceptions but not realities because to do so is like them and give them in yes, 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 but like yes, it's yes. fine I'm, I'm a very open person as you know so I think that there's this evolving narrative which um, actually is definitely um, both cause and effect of Fred Wilson's comments uh, mm -hmm. which is to say that like it, like the pace of innovation in Ethereum has slowed and there's more and more competition and Ethereum is you know sort of to paraphrase Fred right is kind of screwing things up um, and uh, that we need to get our acting gear. So, so I mean, it's very frustrating to me to see this narrative being, you know, propagated through the media because I strongly disagree with it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, that perception exists for sure. One, one thing, um, if you kind of turn it on its head that I, I'd almost view as an opportunity. Sure. Um, is what other protocols 
can Ethereum feed off of, right? Sure. So Ethereum has given uh, birth to this enormous ecosystem yep. and all these uh, really exciting applications. What has always struck me about Bitcoin is that it had Litecoin. Yeah. People, uh, you know, are very skeptical of, of Litecoin because the number of improvements that were made versus Bitcoin uh, were relatively like non-existent. But what uh, one of the reasons I do think it has stuck around is because it has proven in the last few years to be a test net of sorts. Yeah. Like a, pr a production test net if, if there was such a thing and that they move just a little bit faster yeah. on certain elements like Segwit2x and Lightning Network and, and they sure. continue to be this, this um, real money test ground sure. that I think gives uh, Bitcoin core developers and the Bitcoin community a little bit more confidence that some of these experiments will work. Yeah. To date, Ethereum has this ecosystem, but it doesn't seem like any of those other um, innovations percolate up. Maybe the closest, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is, is you know, some of the research that Tenderman has done with proof of stake, because I know that that's had an impact and, and Jay Kwan and, and his team, uh, some of what they've shared with Talik and Vlad is, has led to some of their comfort with, with uh, transition to proof of stake. Mm -hmm. But are there other elements like that where you can point to the production test net of sorts, right? And it makes the governance decisions, it makes the implementations a little bit easier because sure. you can say, hey, we've intentionally delayed this because it's controversial, but these guys are to prove it out. Sure. Because that would be a hell of a win for a lot of the folks who are grappling with these decisions about sure. how to build the airplane in midair. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. It, you know, it's, it's funny. I've, I've come back to the same question many times over the past couple of years, and I actually think there'd be a lot of value in, uh, I'm going to call it Litherium. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I, I've even like pitched this idea, you know, to various stakeholders and surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, there's been a lot of support for the idea. Mm -hmm. I do think it would be very valuable to have a quote unquote test net with value, like you're describing, a place where we can sort of push the research envelope, um, you know, get some of those ideas out there, like maybe launch it as like a, a proof of stake native chain, right? That could be really interesting. Of course, this question about bootstrapping and where does the initial distribution and value and stuff come from? Um, but there's also lots of new ideas around that, like lock drops and things, right? Well, that's, that's one way to think about it, but I'm actually just talking about being more proactive, hunting and pecking at other blockchains and sure. what they're doing right. Because sure. um, the, the the Justin Sun Vitalik Twitter comparison, a lot of that's comical on its face. Yes. I do, on the other hand, uh, believe that some of these projects that are ahead of themselves with respect to marketing, but that are able to enforce a meme, they can succeed um, if they build a large enough monetary base and a rabid enough community and have some type of technical know-how where they can just or fork, they just fork, they fork, fork like, these like, like what Tron did. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so, so, but, but this is all open source, right? Sure. So yeah, like totally. that's, that's a fair play totally. in this ecosystem. Right. Same thing with Telegram, right? They've got they can bootstrap a network with however many hundreds of millions of users they're up to now. Sure. And that user base doesn't care that they're using blockchain well, technology. What they will care about is if it works and if Telegram can pull from Filecoin, from what you, what you should from, be talking about is, is right. Facebook and Zuckbox and, and all that stuff. Facebook right? that's, that's like the eighty thousand pound gorilla. Yeah, same exact thing, yeah. right? If if you have the community. So um, not not to position uh, Ethereum core, or like the foundation is as like the vampire squid that's ultimately going to absorb all of this, but it's created enough value. Sure. I feel like there are other um, blockchain teams, protocol teams that they can pull from much more proactively, maybe than they have 
to date. And maybe th- yeah. there, there's a little bit of that that's happened, but versus creating another test net, like where's the Litecoin? Where's the, like where, where, where can uh, Ethereum extract more volume from other production ready implementations? Um, so actually, I'll push back a little bit. I actually think that um, that exchange of knowledge is happening in a big way already. And I can give you a few concrete examples of this, but the most mm-hmm. obvious one is um, if you look at the evolution of the Ethereum 2 roadmap over the past year, mm-hmm. and of course there was a, a, the biggest change being the change in June of 2018, last year this one, that was announced, where uh, quite a big and I would say even painful decision was made to like merge the sharding and Casper roadmaps. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas up to that point, they've been two separate work streams. Um, and, and so the whole idea of what has now solidified into the ETH2 spec, which is quite solid and quite complete, right, came together. Um, so the idea of a beacon chain and of kind of verifiably secure randomness, like that was borrowed from Definity um, mm-hmm. and from papers that they had written and, and you know, collaborations between their researchers and Ethereum researchers. Um, I, I think in general that, like, I mean, this is just such a good thing for the world, right? That like all this tech is open source and the knowledge is spreading. I think that these the technology will increasingly become commodified as a general statement, and I think that for that reason, like the the way that chains will increasingly differentiate themselves is along the lines of values and governance and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think that that collaboration and knowledge exchange is happening. Um, one more thing I want to add here, uh, and this connects back to the, 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 so the narrative. As, uh, that's in terms of research. Has there been anything else in production that has been co-opted notably from... Well, so sure, I'll give you another example. So part of ETH1X is, uh, it, probably the biggest part of it is the storage management fees idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and that particular initiative is being led by a gentleman named Alexei Akunov, mm-hmm. um, who uh, is very focused on um, you know this sort of research in Ethereum, really brilliant guy. And uh, he's been deep diving for quite some time on this question, and it's not surprisingly a question that pretty much every blockchain in history has dealt with. And so there's a large body of um, ideas and things he's borrowed from there as his ideas around that have evolved. So we're definitely, definitely, definitely taking a lot from other chains. I think Ethereum actually really quite strongly does not really suffer from this, uh, what is it called? Not invented here, NIH syndrome Mm -hmm. that a lot of people do suffer from. Uh, And we've been unabashed about sort of borrowing the best ideas. Um, but I also think to, to answer the second part of your question, which is like, where is you know the Litecoin to Ethereum's Bitcoin? Um, Ethereum is like at least an order of magnitude more complex than Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and for that reason, uh, like the best example of this is, is the storage management fees. If we can't solve this problem, there's no point in launching another chain because it's going to just bloat and explode and die, which is sort of yep. what's beginning to happen to the Ethereum chain. So I think we will see more of these experiments, but I think there's sort of these core open research questions uh, hanging over us that we are making good progress toward answering things like ETH1X. Is it because there are so many more types of information that are stored? Oh, it's just smart contracts. I mean, right. Smart contracts yeah, so, are just So very there's more complex. attack factors. So the, uh, totally. Point Much bigger. So uh, the way to think about it is that this isn't silver to gold uh, in the in the Litecoin comparison. It's this is like this is how like, do we absorb this is like 20 one, different elements. Yeah. That, yeah. Rather than silver and gold, this is like you know one rocket ship and like an international space station. Like it's like that much more complicated. It's and, and it's just so many moving parts here, and it's it's so multidimensional. Um, I, I think yeah, I think we need to sort of answer some of these core questions first. There is one other thing I want to mention, which is um, ties to a couple of these topics, which is also especially that question of the narrative and the competition and stuff. You know, there are prominent voices in the community that are like saying Ethereum needs to transition into war mode. You know, mm-hmm. I think that comes from uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by uh, Andreessen. Um, and I, I like pretty strongly disagree with that, actually. I, like, I'm just not of the mindset that any of this is zero-sum. 
Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, both in terms of knowledge exchange as well as in terms of um, applications that may span multiple of these platforms and networks and working together on standards like we're doing with uh, the WebAssembly, the WASM initiative and Ethereum, mm -hmm. which more and more blockchains are adopting. Um, I, I would say, like, it's just way, 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 way too early. And, like, like to the extent that a project is a legitimate project, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, Definity or, or, or Space Mesh or uh, Polkadot, are all very legitimate projects. Um, not all are so legitimate, right? But the extent that they are, and they're like straightforward and honest in their marketing and things like that, and they're making good faith effort to engage and build a community, like I think that that's fantastic. I think values are creative across all these projects. Um, and I think that like, even like the extreme case, like a Facebook or a JP Morgan, right? If, they're, if they launch something that's sort of blockchain based and they get millions of people to use it without even realizing, and maybe in some way, shape or form in the future, uh, there's some interchange between that and Ethereum and people, some of them, some of them, 1% mm -hmm. of them migrate to Ethereum. I still think it's like net beneficial to the world. Yep. Um, there's also the element, I, I would say, you know, you talk about the hard thing of about hard, thing about hard things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, ben Horowitz, I'm sorry. Ben, ben, yeah, Horowitz. Yeah, ben Horowitz. Um, but the, that, that, that culture shift seems to be something I would imagine is more uh, doable for companies exactly. versus ecosystems. Exactly. exactly. Because to your point from a few minutes ago, a lot of the value capture is going to be driven by uh, who's your tribe, right? And what, what ethos are, are you going to follow and, and, and what type of community do you want to opt into, which is really what these which sure. systems are about. Sure. So getting into war mode uh, might sound more interesting, but Sure. Does, does does the Ethereum development community all of a sudden want to have the same ethos and, and same rigor um, as Bitcoin? Uh, I think those the, both approaches have clearly worked, but I think if you if you pull ten Ethereum developers, nine of them are going to say hell no. Right? I mean, in many ways, <laughs> like Ethereum, we like we want this to, to remain experimental. We yeah. want to make sure that like, we want to move fast and break things for some time. Exactly. Ethereum was in many ways created like as a like as a response the perception of Bitcoin stagnating already in 2014, 2015, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, let me be very clear. Bitcoin is not stagnating in absolute terms. There's a lot of really exciting innovation happening in Bitcoin, but in relative terms. But I don't think many people would disagree that there's a pretty significant gap in ethos. Totally. And totally. it's intentional. Totally. Right? Totally. It's intentional. And so I think another point of, like, there's a lot of these um, points of tension in Ethereum mm -hmm. today that are, again, fascinating from a social perspective. One that we're seeing in a big way now is that we want to continue to push the envelope and, and, and radically innovate uh, and move fast and break things in Ethereum. And we're already, I mean, like to me, Ethereum is absolutely still beta. We haven't even reached like mm -hmm. a 1.0 major release. Um, but of course, what happened is people piled on and there's all this value and all these applications deployed on it, which is great. But now we're in a place where already we have this quote unquote deployed user base and it's already becoming hard to, to change things. Like yeah. obviously the postponement of the Constantinople upgrade is the most recent sort of germane example of this. So let's talk a little bit about, um, now we're starting to get into the 1.x sure. versus 2.0 conversation. So um, you had a post which outlined some of the core areas of focus for 1.x, which is everything pre-2.0, essentially. Basically, it, yeah. It's, like it's, a, it's sort of this loose it, term that's like grown to encompass a bunch of things. So yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of a, a catch-all. There's yeah. a lot of different elements, but um, how, how then does the Ethereum core community mm -hmm. prioritize 1X and 2.0? Are they discrete teams now? Because it seems to me that there's the Casper plus sharding mm -hmm. crowd for 2.0, which is the really big, yeah. uh, structurally different release that you guys have to make. Yeah. And then there's this everything else bucket of, 
how can we keep the ship from sinking? Yeah, pretty much. We're sort of <laughs> right? bailing and we want to like plug the holes. Yeah, that, yeah that's probably, you know, yeah. you're, you're building the new cruise ship that's, it's like... It's right, ready, exactly. It's ready, parallel. It's ready, right? it's, ready, it's, ready, it's ready at the dock and then yeah. everybody that's on the existing ship yeah, totally. is just like, let's patch this thing totally. after, after the iceberg hit. So um, hope, hopefully with different results. <laughs> um, what, how, how do you guys prioritize that yeah. uh, set of, of improvements and, and what are the if there are any low-hanging fruit yeah. deploys, like what are they and, and how do those get rolled out? Because it seems like they should be able to get rolled out much more uh, at a much higher cadence. Sure, yeah, so I, I, I largely agree, but again, just slightly disagree with one aspect of that characterization, which I'll just mention now, which is that I think we, we started with this mindset that exactly as you described, there's this big, beautiful cruise ship being built over there, let's keep this one afloat. But like as we've dug into this, this so tiny bit of backstory here, the initiative was born in, in a sort of ad hoc way at DevCon, so now mm -hmm. October, November of last year. Uh, so now we're a few months into it. Um, and it began literally, and I have a post about this as well, right, uh, on Medium, with, with a group of core developers from most of the different um, organizations and teams kind of sitting down together and, and in an ad hoc fashion just chatting uh, and, and coming to consensus on the fact that like um, there are some of these big issues with the existing Ethereum chain, things like the growth of the state size, and that um, you know it, it may only have single-digit number of years to live uh, if we don't sort of begin fixing things and responding to things. So that's how it started in a sort of patch fashion. But what we've begun to realize already over the past few months is like, actually, uh, Ethereum's pretty awesome. Ethereum won, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I feel actually very strongly that we can scale Ethereum one uh, in a pretty, like not a thousand X, but like, could we do a 10 X? Like no doubt in my mind. Could we do, you know, 50 X? Like that's on the table, it's possible. If we can, again, address some of these issues like, um, the state size. In fact, we, are, we already know how to get to a 10x. Mm -hmm. we, could, we could flip that switch very soon. The reason we haven't is because of the state size issue. Yep. Um, so anyway, the point I want to make here is that like, it's not just patching things. Like, Actually, I think that this Ethereum 1 may be a pretty cool ship on its own right and may continue to sail in parallel for quite some time. Ethereum 1 seems like it could persist for, for quite a long time yep. if the, um, if the app primary applications are financial. Uh, so we've we've had this conversation internally. I believe mm -hmm. this. I know you know others on our, on our team believe that if Ethereum becomes the DeFi blockchain, sure, that's that's plenty big, sure. right? And sure. and and sure. there and and either derivatives of Ethereum or other blockchains uh, maybe can and should you'd argue win the Web three thesis for you know decentralized everything versus decentralized finance. Um, is that a fair characterization? Because financial applications are going to be higher ticket. You're going to actually have an incentive to pay for fees. Right. Um, there, I, I, I think that some of the issues during the ICO boom, where people were cramming in these large transactions and trying to front run each other and pay for yeah. enormous gas, it worked, right? Sure. It, it, the system the market is working as yeah. designed. Yeah. But uh, it did it in a way where it benefited the folks that had more money and more sure. skin in the game. Sure. So some of that flies against the, the ethos of the project, sure. but, but there are other elements which um, you could argue, if we're talking about moving money around in a censorship-resistant way, and we're talking sure. about more than just payments, um, lending, derivatives, everything that's getting built, you know, basically on the Ethereum and Maker stack, that's really interesting. Um, sure. how, how do you personally, and maybe you know, as, as as you think about that from an adoption standpoint? Um, how do you measure what should we be prioritizing mm -hmm. in 1.x for, um, for actually catering to the use cases that, that we know have legs right now, which is probably the DeFi? 
Yeah, I mean, as a general statement, I certainly feel this way, and I think most of my colleagues mm -hmm. do as well, right? Ethereum is intended as a general purpose platform. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I don't think that we at the layer one sort of core layer feel that we should be prioritizing any one category of applications over another. Uh, and in fact, like, you know, one of the areas where Ethereum is often criticized these days is to say, hey, you know, it enabled, you enabled this crazy ICO boom of, you know, whatever, 2017, 2018. And my response is like, that's cool, right? We're just building like a platform that people can do with as they please. And it would be completely counter to, again, the ethos of Ethereum to, to sort of attempt to censor on the one hand or attempt to favor a particular use case on the other. Yes. I, I want to say, like, I think if not all, I hate the word DAP, so I'm just going to call them applications. <laughs> not all applications are well suited to Ethereum. Like mm -hmm. flat out, I just want to come out and say that, right? Uh, and the reason for it is as follows. Um, the, what Ethereum, what differentiates Ethereum in the technology layer, of course we have all this like great community stuff as well, values that we talked about, but in the technology layer is our unwavering commitment to sovereign grade censorship resistance, period, decentralization. Like we will not compromise on that for anything and that is like our highest priority. And so it, like all things in the universe is a trade-off, right? So on the one hand, that means that like the applications that, 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 that there are large categories of applications that really need sovereign grade censorship resistance, I believe. And that's, to be clear, that's why I'm working on this because I believe that uh, these are the most interesting applications, the, one that have the, the ones that have the most potential to change the world. Mm -hmm. So these are things like DAOs, uh, like what Aragon and, and Colony and DAOStack and all these awesome projects are working on. Um, these are things like sort of democracy and, and voting and sort of better human institutions. I think it's things like money, like Maker, and yeah, I think it extends to a lot of the DeFi stuff as well, which is pretty exciting to me. But then there's like whole categories of other stuff like CryptoKitties. No, like all due respect to CryptoKitties, amazing project, but could CryptoKitties work on like an EOS? Uh, sure, right? I don't know that you necessarily need um, sovereign grade platform, sorry, sovereign grade censorship resistance for, for games, mm -hmm. um, where, where other blockchains are optimizing, you know, in a different point on this trade-off, right? So, so they're getting maybe platform grade censorship resistance, mm -hmm. um, and, and so maybe like costs are lower. The first, that sense? yeah, it, it does. Um, That's the framework I use to understand. It's, it's an interesting framework yeah. because it's consistent. I don't know if, if anyone from Ethereum or EOS laid this out, but I remember the first exposure that I had to that categorization was Kyle. Kyle's money, money multi-coin, multi yeah. so All due respect. Was, yeah. was that, well, I, I wasn't asking you to cite him necessarily yeah. so much as uh, learning. That if, plus one other person, which is Chris Dixon. He's written about yes. this as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so uh, that mindset I, mm -hmm. I think was a really strong mental model yeah. for, for thinking about these two different systems yeah. um, and it sounds like you've bought into that is that is that a common um, uh, it, it, do others in Ethereum core agree with that distinction or uh, is it good enough for Ethereum to be platform grade so I believe offer platform yeah. grade censorship I resources. believe that as I said, Ethereum, the Ethereum core community, let's say, will not um, compromise on censorship resistance. And sovereign. Sovereign. Mm -hmm. That's my belief. Now, other people, of course, can, can differ, um, but I believe as a general statement that that's accurate. So mm -hmm. I do believe, like, I'm not sure that every core contributor in Ethereum has thought deeply about this particular question, but I do think if you were to frame it to them this way, that that's probably the answer you would get. Um, in light of that, what are, what are your feelings on EOS? Because that project uh, is, is probably getting more adoption and, and, and being taken more and more seriously over time. Um, it's still a little bit of a black box because of the way that, you know, block producers are, are elected and, and, and some yeah. of the issues that have stemmed from that. But yeah. um, 
do you have have you peered under the hood? I'm I'm just curious because they're probably the next in line from a market cap uh, and and developer interest perspective. And obviously China loves them. Uh, I think they're they're ranked well ahead of <laughs> Ethereum on the preferred blockchains from uh, from from the Chinese government that, that gets published. Gen general thoughts there on, on, yeah. on is is it a compliment? Yeah, this is a hard question. So the short answer to your first question is that no, I have not um, sort of had a chance to look as deeply mm -hmm. into EOS as I would like. I believe me, there's like 10 platforms that I would like to deep dive on. You, you, got, you got a lot on your plate. I understand. Yeah, it's, it's hard even keeping up with Ethereum. So that's frustrating to me. Mm -hmm. I really would like to see more, like I'm a very open person. When we founded mm -hmm. Crypto NYC, we, we specifically gave it a mandate of uh, being chain agnostic, technology agnostic. And in general, like, as I said, to the extent that a project is like legitimate and not trying to scam people, um, I'm totally on board with like supporting it and its work. I've, I've had um, mm -hmm. quite a bit of interaction with uh, some folks on the EOS, um, like New York block producer team, the EOS Detroit team was at the Radical Exchange conference I just came back from. Um, yeah, I mean, like, this goes back to what I said earlier, like, absolutely, right? There is a place in the world for a blockchain, EOS or another blockchain, um, that chooses a different point on this optimization, you know, I don't know whether it's a, a line or a, a plane or how dimensional it is, right? But like, uh, the kind of like, cost versus like decentralization, security, et cetera, like the, let's say the, the scalability trilemma, which, which Kyle also mm -hmm. um, articulated really well last year. Um, sure, right? I, I think, like I said earlier, like it is way too soon to tell, and I'm like like totally not in the like one change that rule them all camp. You could probably tell them like kind of the opposite end of the spectrum here. Mm -hmm. uh, well, the, the way- Maybe we'll get there someday, but yeah. like it's just so early and we need to like broaden the scope of experimentation. The way to reconcile the two things that you said yeah. was uh, you, you want to just build Ethereum in the way that's the most sovereign grade. I think that but we have we have many differentiators, but that's the most important. Right, and, 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 and having said that, if the primary applications ends up being DeFi versus Web three or, or any other you know number of applications, that's fine. And if some of those applications leak to other blockchains, it might be more compatible because you don't need that next level of, of uh, sensor resistance. That's also fine, but that doesn't change the development roadmap per se. If you're optimizing, if that's the one uh, variable that you're optimizing for, yeah, I think that throughput the, yeah. on a sovereign. This comes to our values, system. and like the values are like the thing that we're not going to compromise on on Ethereum, mm -hmm. and I think the values have to come first, and, and applications come secondly to that. Um, Broadly, I agree. I think that your characterization is accurate. I think the one thing I want to push back on is again, I keep saying this, like it's. I just, keep getting it like ninety percent. Right. I'm like at an A minus level, which I'm sounds, not sure. Sounds a lot like college. I'm not sure. I'm past ninety percent myself <laughs> in my own conflicted mind here because there's always multiple ideas that are conflicting. But um, I think it's just too soon to know, right? We're like the internet in like 1974. Right, which is to say that there's like these 10 janky computers, you know, sitting in like some researcher's office in these 10 universities with a tiny amount of funding from DARPA. And like, we're just at the phase now where we're just beginning to like, like figure out what is TCPIP? How do they talk to each other? Yep. So to say like, oh, like you should run your application on M MIT server instead of Berkeley server, like nobody cares, right? Like fast forward 10 years, 20 years. I mean, I think it will happen faster in blockchain, mm -hmm. right? Like applications today run in the cloud. And, and who's to say that with, amazing things like Wasm, like WebAssembly, which we and many other chains are working on, that you won't have an application that lives partly on EOS, partly on Ethereum, and partly on Polkadot or something yep. 10 years from now. So, and Bitcoin. Absolutely, right? <laughs> and, and maybe, I mean, maybe, you know, Bitcoin ends up as the root of trust for all chains. I'm like, that's cool with me. I don't care, right? Maybe it's Ethereum. Maybe we have multiple of them. Like, we just don't know. So, like, we should just allow experimentation to happen at this stage. 
Yeah, and and that was uh, you know much to my chagrin. That was that was a lot of my thesis around Bitcoin versus Ethereum early on. I was like, I I, it, I I don't want it to sound like I was in that like blockchain, not Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> it's before my time. This is it was, the it was, it was, it was actually the exact opposite. It was you know if yeah. Bitcoin is this yeah. most secure chain, then any smart contract language could ultimately settle to, to this chain. So I like Ethereum, the programming language. This thing's never going to be running over. So it's kind uh, of luckily I got over that mental hurdle more uh, than earlier than some people. Earlier right? than yeah. a lot of people. But um, uh, certainly a lot on your plate. I appreciate you taking as much sure. time as you did today. Um, and we'll, we'll, I'm sure, have you on again, I hope, very soon, uh, given cool. the, the number of things that are, are moving and the pace that they're moving in, uh, in Ethereum. So, awesome. Thanks for having Wayne, me. See, see you on crypto Twitter. Absolutely. And you're <laughs> at L Reddick. That's me, yeah. On crypto Twitter. Uh, so do you liberally block people? Sorry? Do you liberally block people? You're going to want to block a lot. I liberally mute people. <laughs> I, I, I mute liberally and block selectively. Let's put it that way. I'm, I'm, I believe I'm, in a curated experience. So. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think anyone that has ever expressed a strong opinion or done anything worthwhile uh, that actually uses Twitter is very liberal with those buttons. So uh, follow Elaine, uh, but don't be a jerk. And uh, if you want to be a jerk, I'm always open. Not <laughs> bit idiot. Until next time, thank you for joining. Thank you for watching. Peace.